This episode of the Power Connect Podcast is brought to you by Charge Trip, the world's leading range prediction and EV routing platform. For more information, go to chargetrip.com. So I would say last year when visiting ACT in Long Beach that I had the realization that, oh, this is how our technology really plays with electric vehicles. And then we also had the realization that, yes, we can do this in operation, but we can also do this prior to investing in electrifying a fleet. So we can simulate what the entire electrification of a fleet will look like. Welcome into the Power Connect Podcast. I'm your host, Fred Davis. Episode 66 of the program, rolling along, breaking ground. First episode of the month of April. Glad to have you guys on board. A little post-EV Charging Summit and Expo wrap-up, if you will. Uh, we're going to kick things off with an interview with none other than Mr. Peter Waller, founder and CCO of ChargeTrip, the world's leading range prediction and EV routing platform. What does that mean? I'm going to let him tell you that. The Airbnb of EV charging, dare I say. His words, not mine, but after you hear about what Peter has to say, and of course, we'll give you a little snippet about who Charge Trip is here before we kick this thing off. But again, just an absolutely fantastic conversation with him. Just an all-around great human being, Cecile Post, uh, head of the partnerships. Uh, she helped put this thing together as well. Just two incredible people. And again, that was a big part of the EV charging summit last week over in Vegas. Just a lot of great people trying to make good things happen across the globe. And it was just, again, it was an exchanging of ideas, concepts, and what it's going to take to move this EV charging and EV proliferation forward. And again, I've got a handful of folks that you're going to hear from over the next couple of weeks. Mary Bauer from EVGo, Aaron Rosenfeld from Drive, Sun Dang from Loop, and uh, my guy Fadi Abrajuli from Sight Tracker, just to name a few. And then we've got some other folks that we're going to be touching base with here. So we've got a lot to get to on the EV charging front, just EVs as a whole. So make sure you're staying tuned to the Power Connect. And of course, we've got some other things we're going to be dropping with the podcast here very, very soon as well. So if you're not on the Power Connect train, you better jump on it because uh, we're moving and we are moving fast. So let's get down to today's episode. Who is Charge Trip? Glad you asked. They are the world's leading range prediction and EV routing platform, as we discussed. They are building the backbone to fleet electrification software and have been doing so since their inception seven years ago. The company is already routing 15% of all Europe's EV drivers every month, and that number will continue to grow the rest of this year and beyond. And as you're going to hear from Peter today, it's not just the consumer market that ChargeTrip is helping. Their fleet offering might even be more impressive. As more and more companies around the globe are electrifying their fleets, learn how ChargeTrip's clever technology is providing those same companies a cost-effective blueprint by simulating their entire fleet operation before they even put their first EV on the road. And of course, you might be saying, well, Fred, when they come into the U.S., stand by. Charge Trip is also coming to a rental car company near you. So stay tuned for more from Peter and the team. And of course, if you want to learn more as to how Charge Trip can help you with your fleet electrification blueprint, go to chargetrip.com today or connect with them on LinkedIn. Okay, let's get into today's episode with Peter Waller, founder, CCO of ChargeTrip, the Airbnb of EV charging. What the heck does that mean? We'll let Peter explain that to you. That first aha moment when they knew they were onto something, when their network crashed, which again, good and bad at the same time, but at least it told them, hey, we're on the right track here. Especially when you considered they thought they were too late to the market when actually it was right on time. Uh, the differences between the U.S. and 
the European EV market, kind of what he sees as headwinds and tailwinds uh, for the rest of 2023. And he'll get into that aforementioned fleet offering, how that whole idea came about and what that means for fleet offerings in the future today and tomorrow. So without further ado, a tremendous conversation. I certainly enjoyed it, and I know you will too. Please welcome to the program, Mr. Peter Waller. We started around seven years ago. We So we're originally four founders, two from Switzerland, uh, two from the Netherlands. And one of the Swiss guys is a childhood friend of mine. His wife is Norwegian, uh, so he lives in, uh, at the time was living in Norway. Norway, obviously, being the world champion of electric driving. So, and when we're talking about electric driving, we're talking about passenger vehicles, right? So, the whole commercial electric vehicle game has just started 18 months ago. Up until then, there were no electric vans or hardly any electric trucks. So, we're talking about passenger vehicles. So, he called me one day uh, and said, everyone is driving electric here. I've got an electric car as well. But when we go on holiday... I still use my diesel Land Rover. I said, well, that's strange. Why are you doing that? Because driving over longer distances or beyond the range of your battery, and especially if you cross borders into other countries, then it's complete shit. You don't know where to charge, when to charge, how long it will take, how much it will cost. So that's why I opt for my diesel Land Rover. I said, well, that's not great. (laughs) And that's not good for the planet. So he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we need to start the Airbnb of charging. And I said, okay, that sounds like a very interesting idea, but tell me a little bit more about the problem. Then he explained to me about all these different plug types, all these different charge speeds, all these different payment systems, which is like a, a very European thing, but, you know, in, in the U- finding out the problem here too. Yeah, right? So, and it's a growing problem. Um, so um, I then took that and discussed it with my then business partner, current co-founder, and we were running a very user-centric innovation agency. So we thought, okay, let's start analyzing this problem and came to the conclusion that what the real issue here is, is that it's so unpredictable. Uh, Like driving and charging is super unpredictable. You don't know what the optimal charge station is, and therefore you don't know if you are ever going to get to your destination, which just freaks people out. Uh, and that is a massive uh, barrier to adoption of this new technology, which is for a person a, a problem. And then if someone in that household thinks it's a problem, a, an electric car won't c- come. But if you then zoom out and you think, okay, we need to actually start to electrify fleets at some point, it's going to be exponentially uh, bigger, that problem. So we figured, okay, what if we would have technology that would actually make that driving and charging far more predictable uh, so that you would upfront know exactly what the optimal charge station for your car on your trip at that moment would be. And then we figured, yeah, that would probably save, uh, uh, solve the problem, um, but we would need to build this from the ground up because traditional routing engines and navigation providers just can't work with all those additional variables. It becomes super slow, so it becomes practically unusable. So um, we built a minimal viable product of a completely different type of routing engine that can deal with all those additional variables. 
Um, uh, and allowed us to basically say on any trip for any EV, you need to charge there, there, and there, and then you arrive at time X uh, for your appointment. And then we showed that to the largest user group of EV drivers in the world, which is the Norwegian EV Association, and they said, wow, we've been looking for something like this for four years. Can you build this for us? We said, sure, um, made our app that we had into their membership app, and then within two months, we had 2% of all the world's EV drivers using our platform, which obviously resulted in it crashing, so we needed to rebuild it. Um, and then um, we thought, okay, we're on to something here. You, well, you just answered my question then. So you knew then when, you know, again, you got 2% of the world's population right there. What was that, what was the one thing you learned what was the one, kind of that aha moment outside of the adoption aspect where you and your co-founder looked at each other and said, okay, we've got something here, but how do we scale this? What's kind of the next step? And, and had you been a part, I know you, you've been an entrepreneur all your life. How was this different from other endeavors you'd been a part of? Uh, so the, the company we were running up until that point was more of a consultancy. So that, you know, you're basically selling hours for smart solutions or answers to right. questions that people have uh, i had technology like when i was still in university i founded my first company which would then still call dot com so that's you know says a bit about my age but <laughs> so had that with venture capital so that was very similar that my co-founder in the netherlands also had technology startups before so we had this app for this large user group, but then we thought, okay, if we want to scale this, it's not going to happen if we just start building apps because that's you need a lot of manpower to maintain apps. So an app is like is like a hotel, right? If you build the building, it's not a great hotel. You need to actually run it to make it a good hotel service, which is similar to an app. So you need to actually maintain it and just have constantly working on it. So we figured, okay, we need to transform this into a technology that can actually be used by other companies to integrate into their apps. So turn it into an API-based SaaS solution. That took another couple of years to make that reliable, scalable, and, and basically enterprise-proof. And then we onboarded companies like Porsche, the largest electricity company, uh, company in southern Germany, in northern Spain, the largest uh, automotive club in the Netherlands, which has like four million members. So then it gradually started to to grow. But in all honesty, we thought we were late to the market. But it turned out the world, yeah, the world needed some time to catch up where Norway was. Uh, so we were a bit early to market, maybe. And, and so did you, I mean, did you realize how nascent the industry, and, and it still is, I mean, let's not uh, kid ourselves here, but I mean, even in Europe, like you said, it was still, it's still a developing, I mean, because it's what, I think, Nor like you said, Norway leads the charge with what, 30% adoption, uh, at least? At no, yes, yeah, so, yeah, no, higher. Are, are, higher. Are, they, are they at 60% now? I know at it's some, the, I mean, compared to the U.S., I mean, how we just hit the 5% mark, which, you know, yeah, so, small. So they've been at over 90% of new cars sold for, okay. for, 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 I think, 24 months or something like that. Wow. And then the entire, if so, if you look at the entire car park, that is around now 60%. That, okay, that's what it was. Right, so there are two different numbers, like new cars sold or the entire car park on the road. 
which is st- which is still a staggering number it is in, compared to the rest of yeah, the world, right? It is. And so here you are, you've got this nascent technology or this 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 intriguing, you know, enterprising technology in this nascent industry that you think you're late on, you're actually <laughs> first on. And so what was that two year period like? Where you're putting this thing together, are you still running your other businesses at the same time? I mean, what was you know what was Peter's time like at that point? Yeah, initially we were running uh, the other company as well, and then at some point we said, okay, we either do this or we don't. Uh, so we shit or get off the pot moment. Yeah. So we so from the four founders, like the two uh, Swiss guys, they just couldn't commit full time because they had other uh, commitments that they needed to to follow on through. Uh, and then Gideon and me said, "Okay, you know, this is this is more fun than giving advice to people, right?" So we just paused the consultancy and figured, "Okay, let's do this." And then it took quite a long time to figure out who would be our what our go-to-market really was. So for for which types of customers are we a really great solution? Because it is very broadly applicable. So if you look at the type of customers that we have, it's charge point operators, it's uh, EMSP, so so charge card providers um, effectively, it's automotives, it's rental companies, leasing companies, it is uh, user clubs. Yeah. So it it's was- a good base to have though, isn't it? To have it, it, that yeah. breadth of, of customers? Yes, but anyone running a company would also say you need to focus. Yeah. So that doesn't help. Because, <laughs> because it's a lot of masters you're trying to serve yes. all at once. Yeah. So what we were looking for is like people that understood the problem of electric driving, that it is a different animal, that it is not just the same stuff but with a different vehicle or a different motor, that it is a completely different ecosystem that has different optimization points. And that you need to cater for all those additional variables that impact your battery, your range, and therefore also how you can use the thing. And you need to bridge all the inconsistencies and incompatibilities that come with this ecosystem. So we needed to find those people that understood that, that thought, yes, we need this, otherwise adoption is not going to happen. And then we thought, okay, it's going to happen faster than it actually did well COVID didn't really help because people didn't weren't driving <laughs> but um in general we were maybe a bit too positive about how fast it would switch so what was kind of the breakthrough moment then where you know your ideas the technology and the audience kind of there was that perfect storm of all right now we've now we're on to something i mean you'd already had that moment i know but like to your point when everything started to, when the rubber met the road yeah, so that was like when we were onboarding like proper large European e-mobility players like the Energiebahn Württemberg, uh, like Repsol, like Shell, like Hertz, like Sixt, those types of customers. That was that was big. And initially, our our contract with Porsche was obviously also a massive proof point because that was prior to the Taycan being launched. And 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 I mean seriously, that's an amazing car. So, yeah. so that was that was awesome. So this this and so at this point now now it's just like all right now we're full speed ahead. Um, what's been you know over these last couple of years and you know again, we're kind of moving past 
COVID, right? I mean, we've all yep. kind of gotten back into reality in some respect. We've all kind of gotten back into routines. We're here at a conference now. Uh, you know, we're out amongst folks. What's been the reception? What have been some of the challenges? What have been some of the things that you have been most encouraged by just from the company standpoint these last couple of years? That the 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 charge point operating and and EMSP market is really maturing. Uh, that it is becoming a competitive market. That um, if you look at Europe, it was very much early days. It was electric utility companies rolling out uh, charge infrastructure, but now plenty more companies have come along. Right, all the uh, the oil and gas companies are now directly competing. Um, and that has created an enormous, interesting market dynamic. So we sell our technology to those companies. They integrate um, that our routing engine into their EV driver apps, which, and that does for the driver. It tells them exactly where to charge, when to charge, how long it takes, and how much it costs. So, so it does that. And then for those companies, we can dial in... Um, uh, all these different preferences of charge point operators. So um, in Europe, you pay charging with a charge card. It's not with cash, not with credit, or not, not with debit. Um, and actually, it's and that is also a, a bit of a blessing because it's a more robust technology. So the payment stuff that's happening here, the problems with credit card terminals on charge points is less of a problem in the, in, in Europe. But what that also means is that if you, you you can actually end up at a charge station and figure out that you can't even start or stop the thing because your your charge card is not compatible with it. So what we do is we can dial in all these preferences for charge point operators. So for a company, um, then we they would say, okay, first prefer our charge stations and then those of our roaming partners so that we make sure that the charge stations that we recommend are compatible with that charge card, so people can actually start and stop the thing. They get a, a really good seamless user experience driving from A to B, but also uh, on the back of that, they are rest assured that they're not paying three, four, five times the price that they otherwise could have, because that's the reality. So depending on which charge card you use at which charge point operator will determine the price that you're paying, which is obviously bizarre because in fuel land, that is never the case. Plus, price differences can easily be 500% difference, which is also bizarre because in fuel land, most 10% price difference, and then on a, on a good day between fuel fuel pump a and fuel pump b so but not never four or five hundred percent so if you and that's for an individual maybe you know if you're on your holiday trip or you're visiting grandma uh, uh what uh 500 miles away maybe that's not a problem but if you scale that up to a couple of thousand vehicles or hundreds of thousands of vehicles like in the case of hertz that is going to matter yeah. so you want to also then start to optimize for uh, not only total travel time, but also total travel cost. The one thing, and, and you know, listening to the panel, uh, and of course we're talking with uh, Peter from the EV Charging Summit here in Las Vegas, 
from an extremely nice room, by the way. I mean, let's just get that. I know you folks that listen can't hear it, but uh, God bless. I feel like I'm in the episode of The Hangover, for crying out loud. Um, it was an upgrade. <laughs> I'm not yeah, blowing our investment money here. It was a free like, upgrade. That's right. That's exactly right. I know you caught some shit from uh, folks looking at you while you were doing some Zooms. No, no. So we had a chance to you, – you gave me a quick demo of the of the technology of the app. And, and again, I'm not saying this because you're here. Like, I was blown away. And one of the things – and it kind of the, – the, the funny part about it was as, I, as you were ta- taking me through it, I said, man, this is so easy to use, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's – you know, I mean, even for me, a 42-year-old, where I still have to have my 20-year-old and 15-year-old kids show me how to do certain things on the computers or on the phone sometimes. But then let's take that to the yesterday's conference where, you know, they asked, okay, what's going to help scale or what's going to be kind of the biggest motivator for adoption? And our boy Vic Shao from – uh, BP said ease of use and cost, which I couldn't agree with more, right? I mean, yeah. you and I talked about this, and, and we yeah. talked about how, look, it needs to be easy to use, and it needs to be easy to understand. And that is the one thing about the Charge Trip app and what you're doing where, like you said, you put in what your car is, you put in how many people you got, you put in where your location is, destination, and boom, it spits it out, boom, you're good. Now, that being said, from the consumer side of things, the other, and, and dare I say, kind of the, the hidden uh, gem in, in your technology is what it means for fleets. Yeah, so, and that is, I think, also why this conference is, is super exciting and being in the U.S. is very exciting because on personal vehicles, Europe is ahead and China is like even far, far further ahead yeah. in, in terms of personal vehicle electrification. But on commercial electric vehicle, uh, elect um, uh, adoption. The U.S. and and Europe are a bit on par because, like, eighteen months ago, does that surprise you? Well, I I know, but I think a lot of people don't realize that. So okay. I think the U.S. thinks that on commercial electric vehicles, Europe might also be years ahead, but yeah. that's not the case because the vehicles just weren't there. Gotcha. Right. So gotcha. eighteen months okay. ago there weren't electric vans on the market. So you could try to electrify your last mile delivery operation, but there weren't, the vehicles weren't there. And then in 2022, I think 225 electric trucks um, came on the road in the whole of Europe for the entire year, right? So that's not a real market yet. (laughs) (laughs) So that's very similar to here. and um, so when we do those um, uh, charge station recommendations, we take into account all the outside variables that impact your, your battery. So whether temperature, elevation, road curvature, road surface, traffic, optimal charge speed and power for, for a vehicle. And then we look at everything in relation to the, uh, the charge network. So uh, real-time availability, predicted availability, reliability scores, and then we can add all sorts of business logic or personal preference. Yeah. So what that means is that underwater, we are extremely good at predicting how much energy it's going to cost for any EV to drive any route because that is a prerequisite to figuring out what the optimal charge point is. Yeah. So the way you can use this for a commercial um, electric fleet is, so let's say you are a last mile delivery company and you have a depot 
um, and you're driving around packages, right? Saying you have a couple of hundred vans. So then if you want to electrify that because you know that your operation in California is going to need to do this uh, because of legislation or you're in Europe because you can't enter Amsterdam or Berlin or Paris or London in two years' time, um, your challenge is going to be as a, um, as a fleet manager that you need to have these vans mission ready in the morning when your drivers arrive at your depot and you need to do your runs and if you're not driving the same route every day the question is how much battery does it need to have so if you don't know you're going to charge everything up to a hundred percent every night uh so what you're going to do is okay you're buying a van and a charger and a van and a charger and a van and a charger and you're going to focus on electrifying your short predictable routes where you are certain you can do that um on a single charge the reality of of such an electrification strategy is is that you're not going to electrify your entire fleet and it's going to be super expensive and inefficient what you're doing so where we come along is that, okay, if we know this van needs to go from A to B to C to D to A with this cargo load, then in under half a second we can calculate, well, that will require, let's say, 35% of its battery. So then if you add a safety margin of 10%, you know that this van only needs to be charged up to 45%, that van to 68 and that van to 23 but in that same calculation, if the answer is it will require 135% of the battery, then we say, and this is the optimal charge station along the way. And if you have this type of technology, it does a number of things. So it obviously makes your charging at your depot far more efficient, right? Because you're not charging everything up to 90%, which is wasteful and takes a tremendous amount of time. Um, so you're freeing up a lot of charge capacity so you can electrify more of your fleet faster at a depot given the grid connection that it has it allows that fleet to play around or benefit from fluctuating energy costs far more efficiently because if you're just charging for what you need and not overcharging you can benefit from from when electric electricity prices are low so you can actually influence your fuel cost which also was never the case in in internal combustion engine land but what it also does, it, it allows you to not only uh, create an electrification strategy for your short predictable runs, but look at your entire logistics operation and create an, electric, an uh, electrification strategy for that. So also for your longer runs or for your, uh, the stuff that is far more unpredictable. So it allows you to do electrify faster uh, and a lot cheaper. Um, so that is in operation. So then you can actually create a very lean uh, charge strategy for all your vans. You can extend that then to a driver application so that the driver can actually also deliver on that lean charge strategy. But if, if he, for instance, or she uh, encounters a detour, then what we can do is also with dynamic rerouting, monitor if they can still make it back to the depot, can you make it back, can you make it back, and if not, we can say, okay, now you need to charge along the way, and you're going to need to do that at this point, uh, at that charge station, you're going to do that for 17 minutes, you're going to charge 14.3 uh, kilowatts, uh, and then you can make it back to the depot. Right, so then you also, as a as a fleet, are rest assured that 
you'll never run out of a charge and you always have a backup uh, and and you're rest assured that your your primary process, which is the logistics process, right? No one wants to charge. You need to charge, but you don't want to charge. You just want to run your logistical process. That you can do that um, in a in a very certain and predictable way, and also save a truckload of money. When did the uh, fleet realization come about? So I would say last year, when visiting Act in Long Beach, that I had the realization that oh, this is how our technology really plays with electric vehicles. And then we also had the realization that, yes, we can do this in operation, but we can also do this prior to um, investing in, in, in electrifying a fleet. So we can simulate what the entire electrification of a fleet will look like. Because if you give us historic route data that you would normally drive with a diesel van which these guys are going to have right? yeah because they know exactly where to deliver the packages yes. right so that comes from a transportation planning tool or a dispatch algorithm so if you give that to us so waypoints and 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 cargo loads and then we can say okay what if you would have driven all these routes with this ford e-transit or this mercedes e-sprinter and we run it through the system and what you then get is a complete kilowatt hour footprint of how much energy it would require for your fleet to run all your routes all day long, all week long, all year long. And if you know that, so how much electricity you're going to need, then all of a sudden figuring out the supply is going to be far more easy. Yeah. So if you do these simulations, you can make data-driven decision investment decisions on what vehicles to buy what battery packs you're going to need how much charge infrastructure you're going to need at your depot if you're going to need stationary batteries to boost stuff and if you're needing a charge partner for charging along the way so that realization came sort of last summer where we thought okay if you want to scale anything in electricity land you need to be able to balance um, supply and demand and for e-mobility, it's not different. But what you need to do there is balance your charge supply with your charge demand. The entire floor below here is catered, focused on charge supply, right? This yeah. is where the charge point operators are, the grid companies are, all of them. But no, no one can really help you figure out what your charge demand is. And that's where we come into play. You're providing an electrification blueprint yeah. Fleet companies. Yeah, that's a really nice way to put it. Thank you. I'll maybe borrow that. Feel free to use it. <laughs> <laughs> now, are you guys using like an AI machine learning type algorithm or kind of just, you know, what's kind of the driver behind so, the technology, I guess? So it's, uh, it's combining a hell of a lot of data. So ChargeTrip is, is basically a really big um, data pipeline with some very good mathematics on it. Um, so we build our own consumption models for every single vehicle that we we need to route or we need to predict energy from because they all use electricity in a different way, right? So a Nissan Leaf uses electricity in a radically different way from an Audi e-tron, from a Porsche Taycan, from a, from a Ford van, from a Mercedes van, from an Exos van. So you need to have consumption models for those 
specific vehicles. And I think that's where we come into play is, is helping um, mobility service providers or fleets that operate fleets from different makes and models so that use electricity all in a different way, but you want to optimize it ac according to one business logic. And I think that's where the world is going, right? Absolutely. So uh, we're going from from ownership to usage, and that means that all vehicles are going to behave, are going to be part of a bigger fleet. No fleet wants to have a vendor lock-in, so you're not going to have a homogeneous fleet just with one vehicle type. So you're always going to have multiple makes and models in that fleet, and then how do you optimize it across one business logic, and that's where we come in. We can help there. 2023, look, like you said, it, the, the, the adoption is, is, is at breakneck speed right now. What's kind of the prognosis or what do you, what's kind of the expectation for the rest of 2023 as from a European standpoint? And what, you know, what's your gut tell you as far as EV adoption here in the United States? What are you impressed by and what are you, I don't, I'm not going to say discouraged by, but what, what kind of bothers you or what are you concerned or what do you see as potential challenges from EV adoption here in the United States? So for us, I mean, for 2023, it's just we need to, but it's traction, traction, traction. So the technology is there. We just now need to find the right customers who, who understand that they are, that they have this problem or they will have this problem, uh, both from an operational point of view and a simulation point of view. So So we're doing that. We're building our own simulation products um, is just, we just don't have the resources at the moment. Like, you know, we need to build so much stuff that we can't do it now. So that will probably, not until summer, we'll have those uh, simulation tools, um, but we can do that manually now as well. So that's super interesting. I think on a personal vehicle level, Europe is just more mature. And, and what you see there is that people understand now that sharing data in that ecosystem of charging and driving is crucial. And what you see here in the US is still that charge point operators are very guarded for sharing their um, real-time availability data, for instance, which is a bit it's a bit strange, right? It's like opening a restaurant and you don't want to- Not telling people when you're open. Yeah, right? It's like- <laughs> Maybe I am. Yeah. Maybe or, I'm not. Or I won't tell you what's on the menu. <laughs> Right, that's just, you have to come by and see. Yeah, but maybe we're closed. <laughs> so, right? Yeah, or you weren't feeling like Mexican, but you know we're in Japanese restaurant. They were serving Italian. Yeah, or if you're really lucky, Dutch cuisine. That would be terrible. What's the number? Real quick, what is the number one Dutch food item? You you, you don't want to know. It, <laughs> I, I do. Oh, so it's I like do. okay, so it's. It's raw fermented herring, I would say, that you just eat as raw fish with onions. It's a very, you know. It's an acquired taste. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I recommend it. You know, it's really nice. Do you make a good raw herring fish? No. No, but, I, you know, it's really good with a beer or with a glass of white wine. Well, I mean, it almost feels like you have to drink wine. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, well, you could, like, if you're hungover with a Coke, maybe. <laughs> so, so you got to try that. I'll take it under advice. So, but man. Dutch cuisine isn't, that's not our USB. <laughs> no. 
we're very kind, friendly, direct, open. We can, you know, we're good at languages. That's right. That's Cuisine, right. not uh, Say USB. That for other people. Yeah. That's right. The French, the Japanese, the Thai, the Mexicans, the Italians. Every, like, Italians. Very good. We are not so. Um, so the sharing of data, that would be, you know, that makes... It'll that, have to happen eventually, yeah. though, right? So it's a, bit, it's, it's a very, it's a sign of an immature market. It was the same in, 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 in the Netherlands, in Scandinavia, in the UK, and in Germany. But they, everyone there understands that it's a bit ridiculous to, do, to not share that exactly. because drivers don't, you know, so again, it boils down to unpredictability. So if you don't know if the thing is actually uh, in operation or not, that makes it pretty unpredictable. Yeah. And, and that's what you don't want, right? Because you don't want to charge. You just want to get to grandma. But you need to charge because there's a limit to the battery which is fine, but then let's make it seamless and predictable. Yeah. And then data sharing is crucial to that. And that's the same with OEMs, like getting state of charge out of a car. It shouldn't be that difficult as the most automotive OEMs make it. Right. So the ecosystem is just far more symbiotic uh, in terms of uh, interdependency of the vehicle to the charge network for the fundamental reason that we can't store electricity that well. Yeah. So what, what you're going to need needs to be on the grid. And, uh, and that's why this sort of having reliable quality data available will make that ecosystem much more smooth because then companies like us can actually bridge all the gaps with smart technology. But that will come in the U.S. Uh, and then we are now onboarding our first customers here, both for personal vehicles. And then I'm very excited about uh, the, the commercial vehicle electrification, what you see here. Yeah. Because in Europe, we will debate and have another meeting and another meeting and another meeting to get to a decision where here, you know, you're American and you say, okay, let's go, yeehaw, and you're doing it, right? And that's amazing because that, you know, accelerates everything. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, I just appreciate the fact you said yeehaw. <laughs> for the folks at home, um, like you said, it's rolling out here in the United States uh, for consumers. Can they get the Charge Trip app yet? Or where are we no, at with so we the have, US? So we've got a demo that you can use. It's a web app. So if, if you go to go.chargetrip.com, you can. there's a, a, a web route planner that also has a, a complete US database, charge station database behind it, lacking availability data, unfortunately, but then try to plan a route in Europe and then you'll see how beauty, beautiful it is if you actually know if yeah. a thing is available, yes or no. And then, no, so you'll see us end up in larger EV driver applications of customers that I can't name yet. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Peter Waller. You can catch all of the Power Connect podcast episodes over at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and, of course, over at the website, too, thepowerconnect.net. Join the mailing list right now. Uh, we've got a new newsletter that's going to be coming out very, very soon. Also, too, again, we've talked about it a little bit. We had to get the EV Summit stuff uh, taken care of. But like I said, we've got six more episodes of that coming soon. 
also to a brand new kind of rebranding of the podcast as well that we're excited about. Still going to be great energy content. We're going to sprinkle in a few more things as well. I'll have an official uh, kind of update and or declaration of that next week, so stay tuned for that. But again, can't thank uh, the Peter Wallers, the Merrill Morses, the Laneys, everybody that helped make the EV Charging Summit. Uh, my man Daniel Siegel, Andreas Lips. We had just an absolutely tremendous time, and uh, again, it was good to hear all of the ideas and all of the solutions that people discussed moving forward. This thing will get figured out one way or the other. All right, stay tuned. Next week, we're going to have three different episodes coming out. We've got Marcy Bauer, Aaron Rosenfeld, and Fadi Abujurli from Sight Tracker. A lot of stuff coming up down the pike. You do not want to miss it. This has been the Power Connect Podcast, connecting the energy transition one conversation at a time. Wake up. Builders, time to build a new land.